0: Welcome to the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast with your host Cody Jansen. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Cody Jansen, and welcome to a monumental episode of the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. Episode 14, brought to you by CST Tires with legendary guest, Digger Doug Gust. It's finally here, the episode you've all been waiting for. Doug Gust is undoubtedly one of the greatest ATV racers of all time, and as a Wisconsin kid, he's been my all-time favorite rider and idol since day one. So needless to say, this is very special for me. You guys asked for a bunch of topics, and we delivered. I think we covered it all, so really excited and proud to bring this kind of content to the sport. You have to remember, up until the decade that just ended, Doug Gust had been part of every era of ATV racing to this point, from the Denton era through the hybrid era to dominating on a Z400 to developing the LTR and through the end of his career. We talk about how tough it was to finally walk away, get to the bottom of the Loraco's Leap myth, talk about his relationship with Joe Bird, and so much more. So get ready. We have to thank our sponsors, including new show sponsor, Yamaha. We are proud to be partnered with the winningest manufacturer of the past decade in ATV motocross and the number one OEM supporter of ATV racing. The Digging Deep ATV MX podcast is Team Blue Crew. Thank you, Yamaha, and check them out at YamahaOutdoors.com today. Thanks to another new sponsor, but longtime sponsor of me personally, Valvoline. For over 150 years, Valvoline has been dedicated to innovating and improving your driving and riding experience. The world's oldest oil company still leads the charge with unrivaled products and lubricants. Thanks to Team Valvoline for coming on board. Thanks to our title sponsor, CST Tires, csttires.com. The Pulse MXR tire is the best tire on the market, no matter what the terrain. Join the CST Takeover today or prepare to be beat by someone who did. CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. Thanks to SSI Decals. SSI Decals was a key contributor to Team USA's winning efforts at the Quad Cross of Nations and simply put, is the decal choice of champions everywhere. Their track record speaks for itself. Champions choose SSI Decals for unmatched look and function. Thanks to those guys and check them out today at SSIDecals.com. Thank you, D.I.D. Racing Chain and their 520 ATV2 X-Ring Chain. Team USA, Joel Hetrick, and myself all trusted D.I.D.'s unrivaled chain quality and rivet clip all the way to championship victory this past season. Wherever you go, go with D.I.D. Thank you, Namira Technologies. Namira, Pistons with an Attitude. Namira has led the charge in the ATV and side by side market since 2001 with their wide array of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry leading top end repair kits. Visit your local dealer or online at Namira, that's N-A-M-U-R-A dot com, Also a big thanks to Bronco ATV and UTV components. Bronco has been the industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. Whether it's electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, suspension parts, or bearing kits, Bronco is your hard part source when it comes to whatever you need for whatever you ride. BroncoATV.com. Thank you to ForWorks Carbon for the continued support. Known for their hoods, seat covers, array of carbon parts, and so much more, ForWorks is your one stop shop to give. Your ATV, a new and improved look with increased function for 2020. New year, new look with 4Works Carbon. Head over to their social media pages or website today thanks to 4Works Carbon. Thanks as always to Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant. Upgrade to Evans now to avoid overheating and boil over next time you hit the racetrack. When conditions are at their worst, Evans is at its best. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP20 to save at checkout, evanscoolant.com. Thanks to DP Brakes, the unquestioned leader in motorsports and power sports braking. DP is the brand responsible for allowing Joel Hetrick, myself, and so many others to outbreak the competition every time we hit the racetrack. It's not too late to join the team, so act fast. DP brakes.com. Thanks to Blender's Eyewear, whose Life and Forward Motion brand is the perfect fit to partner with our podcast. You won't find better shades for a more attractive price anywhere else. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP20 to save on the trendiest shades on the market. BlenderSeyeWear.com Thanks to Oats Overnight. Life is hard. Make breakfast easy. Simply combine with milk before bed and enjoy your two go breakfast in the morning. Overnight oatmeal loaded with superfoods perfect for athletes. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP10 to save at checkout. OatsOvernight.com Thank you, Mountaineer brand. If you know me, you know I love my beard. That's why I treat it right with Mountaineer Brand's all natural washes, oils, balms, and more. Use discount code Cody's Fave in all caps. That's C O D Y S F A V, Cody's Fave in all caps at MountaineerBrand.com. From our new partners to our original sponsors, thanks for your support of this podcast and making this dream a reality for both us. And our listeners. We pride ourselves in partnering with only the best brands in the industry so better your riding experience and your lifestyle by supporting the sponsors who support us. If you love the show, the best thing you can do is support our partners. If you're interested in becoming a partner of the show, shoot me a message or email today for more details. Once again, thanks to all of our sponsors. Okay, Evan's Waterless Power Sports Coolant Sight Lapse segment, and this is where we do a quick rundown before the gate drops on this episode's featured guest. This week-ish in ATV Racing, Jeffrey Ristrelli got married. So congrats to newly married Mr. and Mrs. Jeffrey Ristrelli, friend of mine and upcoming guest on the podcast. Oh, yeah. And he also announced that he'll be riding for Phoenix Racing Honda next year alongside teammate and defending champion Joel Hetrick. So we're pumped to get Jeffrey on to talk about all the exciting things happening in his life both on and off the track. Alright guys, quickly, we're going to try something new here. A quick product review for your benefit. Now, no one wants to drop five or $600 on a set of boots, but you might not have to. Introducing the new mid-level Radial MX boot from Thor. I've R&D tested this mid-level boot myself, and after three years in the making, it wasn't long after I slipped the boot on that I quickly believed the hype. The Thor Radial is redefining expectations by offering a top-tier boot at a mid-level price point, which, for those of you who don't know, that means in that $250-ish price range. The boot has a pivoting access for increased support, a fully synthetic burn guard for premium durability and optimal grip, secure, easy-to-use buckles, and a replaceable sole. The Radial MX boot from Thor... The best-looking and functioning mid-level boot on the market offers comfort, flexibility, and a good fit at an unprecedented price. You're welcome. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Enjoy. And now, it's an absolute honor to welcome to the show, brought to you by DID Racing Chain and their 520 ATV2 X-Ring Chain, multi-time pro class national champion wpsa super quad pro 450 champion and overall living legend one of the greatest atv racers of all time we proudly welcome digger doug Gus to the digging deep MX podcast what's up digger how are you it's so great to have you join us on the show
1: thanks for having me and happy new year to everybody
0: yeah it's uh like i said um I was just saying to you, man, it's, a, it's an absolute honor. People are pumped to hear from you. Um, and for a little context for our listeners here, I ran into Doug at the, at the ATV motocross season finale at Crawfordsville there, and I kind of mentioned I tried to plant the seed early, like we got to get you on the show. And, and ever since then, um, you know, we're probably four plus months later now, but uh, I've been anxiously waiting for this interview. And um, ever since we kind of announced we were going to do it, our listeners have been, have been blowing up our social media and stuff, waiting for you to come on. So, uh, yeah, really exciting.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm excited too. It's, it's been a long time and, uh, you know, that was really great seeing you there at the Ironman there and it was awesome to see them guys, uh, really uh sending it let me tell you them guys were getting some air there
0: yeah yeah for sure and i was telling um i was telling my brother dallas my producer here sitting next to me um you know just just how exciting uh all this is for 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 me you know because you know you're you're one of my favorites ever Um, including, you know, obviously so many fans too, but then for you, I was telling Dallas, it's been a decade since, you know, since, since, you know, you've been kind of on the racing scene full time. So it's going to be exciting for you to kind of relive a lot of that stuff too. So, um. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's
1: been a long time. Holy cow, you blink your eyes and boom, 10 years goes by. Oh, it's unreal. So,
0: um, so yeah, Doug, I kind of want to hear your complete racing story here. So I guess to, to take it right from the top, you know, take us back to your childhood and, um, like when you started riding.
1: Well, I started when I was 14 on a on a GT80, a Yamaha GT80 dirt bike. Um, my parents didn't want me to race. They told me I couldn't do it. So I just had a little Enduro bike to uh ride around on, you know. And then I met a friend of mine, a long lifetime friend, still friends with him, Cliff Cam. He's uh father to Cody Cam, who's a snowcross champ. Yep. We, uh, he was racing motocross and I wanted to do it bad so I ended up sneaking with him and his parents when I was probably 15 16 and uh I started racing a YZ80 then I got a YZ80 and was racing that for a bit and um I had a neighbor that had a a three-wheeler a 110 three-wheeler Honda 110 and um Boy, that they were fun to ride in the winter because obviously up here in the Midwest we get snow in the winter and you can't ride dirt bikes all year uh, around. But the three wheeler you could. So I transitioned over and uh, I ended up buying a 200 X three wheeler and um, started playing around with that. And then I became 18. I could do what I wanted, obviously. So I started racing the three wheeler and uh, went on to get a 250 R three wheeler, raced that for a bit, and then. man it had to be like 87 or 86 they you know they started four-wheelers became really popular and uh three-wheelers were on their way out and so I made the transition and uh, I can remember I bought a 87 Suzuki LT 250 that was my first quad okay. and uh I was um I wanted to go pro that was my dream like I'm going pro and and I I was doing better on the four wheelers, obviously, than I was the dirt bike. I, I, you know, I tried to run some races on the dirt bike, but was always mid pack guy. And um, I just excelled on the four wheelers when I got on them. I did on the three wheelers too. I was uh, doing really well on the three wheelers, but four wheelers come along and um, yeah, I I got an LT 250 and loaded in the back of my Toyota pickup truck and went out to California one winter and said, I'm going pro. (laughs) Really? yeah i went out there and uh yeah it didn't turn out too good i (laughs) i ran one race uh at carlsbad okay and and of course you know me i was stock i think i had boy i had rear tires on it and that was no i had a bill's pipe i had a bill's pipe (laughs) and that was it but uh yeah my um my dream ended real quick i ended up uh one morning coming back to the truck after sleeping in a motel and it was gone four wheeler truck everything gone oh, oh. no <laughs> Yep. Yeah, so i went back home and um had to take a commercial flight which i'd never flown before and i uh, went home and started working again and saving up money and then i bought a honda and okay. uh, i got 250r and um then i started racing that um I actually I have to backtrack. I guess I did race a couple nationals on the um, Suzuki before I went out to California. I did some um, Loretta Lentz. I did Loretta Lentz. Okay. And, so uh, I think I ran the A class then.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's what I was yeah. going to ask is if you like raced any classes before just going right to pro. So
1: no, nope, yep. I did. I raced A class and I, I believe uh, it was at 87 um, you know, Suzuki. And then I bought the brand new 88 and I went out to California and got it stolen. So been so long. I don't remember. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so but,
0: yeah, well, I think it's cool too, because I mean, there's going to be most, everybody hasn't going to have heard these stories. So that's the cool part about it. But, um, so after that happened, I mean, were you, did you ever question, You know, doing the whole thing again after you got this four-wheeler stolen or was that dream still was still that your dream and you never wavered
1: from it? It it still was my dream but it sure put a burden on it you know and uh, it took the wind out of my sail a lot Uh, but I regrouped and um, saved up some money insurance wouldn't cover the four-wheeler on the back at the time because the car insurance says you have to have that covered under your homeowners and homeowners says I should have been covered under a You know, I went back and forth, but, uh, long story short, I lost it. You know, I didn't get paid for the four and I had all my tools and gear and, you know, I had everything, you know, of course. Yeah,
0: of course, of course. So the, and the other thing too, I guess my question referencing back then is what was the local racing scene like, you know, you're in Southern Wisconsin. So I don't know, um, what that racing scene was like there was nationals kind of your only option or how was that?
1: Uh, No, we, we actually had a local track here called Lake Geneva Raceway that, uh, I went to on Friday nights. They would do Friday night, like stadium cross races. And I would go there a lot. I raced every Friday night that they were open probably from May, you know, through September. And, um, they had, uh a pretty cool, but it was more stadium cross track. And, um, I raced both the dirt bike, three wheeler, four wheeler, you know, I tried to race it all while I was there. So, okay. But okay. I wanted to move on to bigger and better things. My uncle took me out to Red Bud once and I got to watch the pro dirt bikes go. And Bob Hanna was my legend and, you know, a hero. And, uh, okay. Uh, that, that's what, uh, got me wanting to do the nationals.
0: I see. So, and that was literally my next question I kind of had in mind was anybody you looked up to. So if it was Bob Hanna on a bike, did you have guys that you looked up to then on on three-wheelers or four-wheelers too?
1: Yes, I did. Well, I, uh, when I did race three-wheelers, I did go to a national in Tipton, Iowa, I remember, and Jimmy White, Marty Hart, Mike Cole uh i think dean sundell was in then too there was uh some of them guys they were awesome and they were factory riders then
0: of course yeah they were sure
1: yep yep you know team kawasaki of course jimmy white you yep. know and Marty Art, Team Honda, uh-huh. so it, it was awesome.
0: <laughs> I think, then. and they were the the funny thing is too is like they were superstars of the whole industry back then. You know, it wasn't yes. just three wheelers. Like even you know, dirt bike guys, industry guys. Now, still today, like Jimmy White was their hero back then. It's just right. it's crazy.
1: You know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I I got all their autographs then. I remember and everything. And then it wasn't, but a few years later, I started racing.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. So now you're, you're talking. um, So I guess at what point did you start, did you get back to being like a full-time pro? Like when did you start chasing the whole series? Because, you know, that would be, I guess, beginning of the nineties, right. And and you didn't, you know, take me kind of through the nineties, I guess.
1: I'll backtrack back a little bit okay. after eighty seven yeah. running uh down at Loretta Lynn's, and then um in eighty eight I bought that new Suzuki and went out to california and that was January because they were running a winter series um and I forget exactly what it was called, but uh Carlsbad California was one of the racetracks we went to um and I got everything stolen, and then it took me most of the um summer to save up to get a another one and I got a Honda and um it was an 89 then obviously and I went down to Texas and I ran the Texas Arena Crosses in the winter
0: okay and I
1: also raced them on a bike I had a Honda 250 CR250 and I would race the pro class on a bike and the pro on a four-wheeler well the four-wheeler I obviously won it I won the whole 89 um Texas Arena Cross champion but the dirt bike, I could qualify in a pro class, but I'd be lucky. I think they took 14 or 15 to the main event because them were arena cross races. And I would get 12th, you know, or 11th. I barely would make it. I wasn't a top 10 rider. And there was some top guys like Guy Cooper, who used to ride dirt bikes, was a top pro. Dennis Hawthorne, you know, Factory Kawasaki. And yep. I was racing them, guys.
0: You know? So, all, yeah, all those guys from that area, the Oklahoma, Texas area down yes. there
1: yeah so that that makes sense yeah yeah yep. yeah uh, I, a lot a lot of people i'm probably don't heard of them guys, but I'm glad you know who they are' because that oh, was of course yeah,
0: yeah. of yes. course yeah so so
1: that, yeah that was then a nine and then the next year, I believe it was ninety I ran Loretta lynn's and they really got a uh bad rain, so the the main track was flooded, and that was when Davy Coombs was still alive, and he senior, and he um he he designed a track up on the hill, on the side hill, away from that lower part of the track. And all he did is kind of bannered off in the woods, through around, and we ran. The pro only the pro class did. The amateurs didn't want to do it. Okay. And uh, that was when Gary Denton, uh, Barry McCarty, um John Hemi, um, you know, all them guys were running then, and uh I ended up uh stock tires and all on a 250R. <laughs> And that was really my first, uh, rememberable pro race, uh, outdoor national. I ended up pulling old shot and leading for a while. I led that race for quite a while. And then I, I got tired. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So I ended up finishing fourth, my first pro race. There, oh so. Wow.
0: That's great. Yeah, and then
1: I started getting some sponsors, uh-huh. um, and things started progressing from there. And, uh, you know, the nineties was pretty bad, the early nineties, cause all the factories got out of it then yep. things were pretty slow you know we were just uh, getting outside sponsors tire helmets you know goggles whatever we could oil um and i think it was probably 90 it was around 95 96 uh nax racing used to be a big uh mm-hmm. deal then and they they picked me up and started sponsoring and it was it to me it was a factory ride because we were a satellite team. There was no factories, but they had a, a rig they brought to the race. As mechanic, you know, bike all ready to go, yep. and that was when Tom Carlson from TC yep. Racing, you know, and uh, John Lawson was the driver, and and you know he helped out. Boy, that was that was a team back then.
0: So, I and in some of those those ATVs that you had back then with the big knacks on the side of it, like they're iconic, you know. So yes. um, yeah, you don't got to tell me. I mean, I think I I think I. I could like those pictures are burned in my memory, you know. But yep. um, that seemed like that's when ATB racing really started to, you know, that second half of the 90s, I guess it started to pick up. And, yes. And, um, you know, that was when that was the GNC days, right? Too. So that was MX, MX and TT, TT at the time. And, you know, so I guess, like, was that, you know, because some of my listeners aren't going to be super familiar. So, was that something that you enjoyed? Did you like doing both, you know, the TT and MX or kind of take me through that? Because I never thought of you as a, as a necessarily a TT guy, you know, there was some TT specialists and you were just yeah. strong at it all, I guess.
1: Yeah. TT was not my specialty. And I, to be honest with you, I didn't like it It okay. was uh, because it was more set up, and I'd like to ride more on the rider, not set up and motocross. I could excel because it was more the rider, but TT boy, I mean, you, you have, don't get me wrong. You gotta be good, but you, you have to have your quad set up for the conditions, you know, and uh, I struggled with TT and there, there was a lot of years that I had won the motocross championship, but didn't gain enough points in the TT to be the overall GNC winner, you know? Right.
0: Yeah, camping, I thought so. I I thought so. I thought so because, and and it's it's funny because sometimes it's hard to um to track some of those stats nowadays because they just like a lot of times you'll just see that overall winner you know listed, but yeah, you were the motocross guy, and then there were some guys that stood out on the TT, and you just didn't happen to to do that. Um, yeah,
1: Shane Hitt He was a awesome TT rider. Tim Farr was too. I mean, there was a uh-huh. few of them guys that really excelled in the TT, you know, and I, I started figuring it out towards the end and I believe in 99 when I won the, the whole championship, that was the first whole championship I won. Yep, That's when uh, I think it was the next, not long after that, they quit. You know, they separated
0: it. You're exactly right. Yep. You're exactly right. Cause that was um, what I have written down here. You know, you grabbed your first championship in 99 and um, I was going to ask you like, what's, st- like what stands out about that year as far as what helped you get over the hump? Was it kind of putting everything together with those TT races or? Yeah,
1: that's what did it because there was a lot of other years that I, you know, if not, I mean, I know I won the motocross championship in 95 and there might've been another year, but I was always first or second in a motocross, but fifth, sixth, seventh in the TTs, you know, it was tough. And that year, 99, we really, Spent some time, you know. I, I I practiced TT. We went to some tracks, and that was the John Lawson, Tom Carlson, Nax days, you know. And um, them guys really put a lot of effort, and I and I was uh, blessed that them guys, uh, you know, stuck stuck it into me and believed in me, you know. And uh, so it all paid off that year. It
0: and it is. It's kind of crazy too because when you think about all that changed from like that decade from the beginning of the nineties to the end of the nineties, the landscape of ATV motocross, or maybe just motorsports in general, but was so different that you were like to think that you were able to stay in it for that long and grow as a rider for that long. It's kind of crazy because not that many people did it, you
1: know? Right. Right. Yeah. it, It was tough. And I mean, you know, we weren't making enough money to make a living at it. I had another job and, you know, I actually started my own business during that uh, excavating business. That's where the name digger come along. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I had a lot of uh, struggles in the nineties, in the mid nineties. I, I, um, I had a really bad accident and, and I forget if it was 95 or 96, but I, uh, the same year, Joe bird got hurt bad too. We, um, same track at muddy Creek. I cased the jump and uh, we were running backwards that day. I remember, and I cased uh, it was a tabletop into a single. Cause obviously when it ran the other way, it was a single into a tabletop. So right. I got the bright idea. I could clear, I could hit the tabletop and clear the single afterwards. And I did it. I did it a few times, but uh, one lap, I didn't make it and woke up in an ambulance, broke my back, both my heels, um ac separation in my shoulder uh, i was uh ribs i was messed up that was oh a, i goodness. spent a couple of weeks in the hospital
0: oh gosh
1: yeah that was uh that was bad and um my mother has a note she still has it framed from me i signed when i was in the hospital said i would never race again <laughs>
0: <laughs> well thank god thank god you didn't give it up then because right all the best days were ahead of you at that point yeah
1: that was my low you know I hit rock bottom there and uh, I didn't then obviously that whole summer I never raced nothing and um, that fall uh, Nax approached me again and wanted to offer me a full ride and still believed in me you know and um, so my and I started again and I told my mom that uh, that, that ain't gonna hold up in court I was under drugs on the hospital you
0: know? <laughs> killers, you know? oh, that's funny yeah so so um so you kind of overcome that you get everything back going you win the championship in 99 overall and now i mean now you're kind of at that point where you're creeping up on the the four-stroke era and really like you were i mean one of if not the pioneer kind of of that four-stroke era so tell us about that that drz hybrid of yours and I think, what was that, 2002 when he rode that?
1: Yes, I believe so. Um, Tom Carlson, you know, he, he's really the guy to give all the credit to because he's the one that wanted to do it. He bought a DRZ 400 motorcycle, and I believe it was Lager that built the chassis. Um, was it Lager? I'm not for sure I if think Lager. so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And, um, you know, he stuck it in there and really wanted me to ride it. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to.
0: I read, I, I was, when we were getting ready for this, I was reading some old articles about this four-wheeler, right? And that was exactly what I read. Like, you know, like Doug, Doug had his doubts. Like he didn't really want to ride this thing.
1: No, I, and, and, you know, believe it or not, Tom didn't really have it ready till the first national. You know? Really? Okay. And that was uh, Ichikani at Georgia. There was our first one. Um, and uh, boy, I got on that thing and, I liked it, you know, and it had really nice power. And, um, I, I decided, you know what, I, I will run it. And that was when I made the decision. It was already at first national. Oh my goodness. And, uh, I believe I won the first moto and the second moto, we, we had a problem with it. Something happened. But, I do uh,
0: believe that's what I read. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but yeah. And then it just started evolving and I, I stuck with it then. And, um, there was some times that I was, um, pretty upset i did because you know we were working all the bugs out of it of course but yeah. it really paid off because Suzuki approached us then because we were the first ones to do that you know yep. and then obviously the z400 come out and they wanted me to run for them and, and a lot of people didn't know it was early before 2004 that i had that you know we didn't get a full factory ride till 04 when Suzuki announced it but you know, in 03, they were helping us with the Shamir, you know, to keep going.
0: Of course. And yeah. I knew it
1: was coming, but nobody else did, you
0: know. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, because that was kind of my next question in my mind. I'm thinking, so you're running this, this DRZ hybrid thing. And I'm like, that had to have some kind of connection with, you know, you ending up with Suzuki for, I mean, really the remainder of your career, but yes. you know, that, that next year they come out with the Z 400, And uh, I mean, it was uh, kind of a a factory OEM variation of what you were riding previous to that. But even before that, like with Tom, what made him, what made that machine desirable to him?
1: You know, I I don't know why he uh, was so, I think it's because um, Suzuki had that dirt bike, four-stroke dirt bike out, you know. Okay. You know, you think about it, there really wasn't, I, I guess Yamaha had the 400 out too. But, I, you know, I don't know why exactly he chose that Suzuki, but um, he liked it. He thought it was a good motor. I remember him saying that. And, um, yeah, he just, uh, boy, he, I'm glad he did what he did because, you know, it, it's, it started everything. And uh,
0: Of course, yeah. He, yeah. He,
1: he he was awesome with that thing. He really, you know, he really, that was that was his baby.
0: Right. Oh yeah. And like I said, that quad still to this day is like just legendary. I know I posted a picture of it weeks ago. Um, and yeah, like people, people still drool over that thing to this day. It's crazy. So, you know, and then, I mean, man, like you got on, so I guess I didn't know that there wasn't full factory effort in 2003. I didn't know that. No. Um,
1: but there was pro production class. Did, I don't know if you remember that happening. But, I do, uh, yes. We had a pro class, and then we had a pro production, and that's what we ran the Z400s. And, and Tim Fargot was running one, too. Um, I forget who else was in it, but um, that, was, that was the class. And, you know, we were limited to things to do to that machine.
0: Right, yeah, because there's – and it is funny that you say that because there's pictures that you can find of – a whole class of Z 400s. It's crazy, you know, and, yes. and nobody remembers Tim Farr on a Suzuki. And yep. yeah, like when you see some of those pictures and you and him dicing it up on Suzuki's, it's kind of funny. Cause they're rare, you know, they're rare. Yeah, We, rare photos. we had
1: some good races, Matt, <laughs> We were dicing <laughs> back and forth a lot.
0: I saw a couple of them, too, were like, you guys are stuck together, like, uh, you know, like stuck together in corners and and pulling each other off of each other. So
1: we were so close, you know, and 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 the quads obviously were set up so close that we were just, you know, neck and neck there. It was some good racing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, then, so 2003 and 2004, you won a bunch of races, you win championships both of those years. And um, so factory Suzuki has that Z400, obviously, like we talked about. And so was there, did you guys go through any difficulties with that quad? I mean, you were so successful. It's almost like, it's almost like that thing was ready to go from the
1: start yeah no, it was. It was a good machine, and um you know I, I still say to this day, Suzuki built one of the best you know to just jump on and go, especially when the LTR 450 came out. but uh I know we 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 did struggle a little bit with changing from a wet sump to a dry sump engine, I remember you know and and, and found out some issues with you know to do that because you're, you're robbing some horsepower when you have a wet sump compared to a dry of course, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, we, we learned as we went, and uh, I think in 04, they didn't have, it was just one class then. I
0: think so too, 15.
1: yep. Yeah, because they changed it to one class, and then Honda, that's the year, Honda had one out, but everybody had 450s, and I was still on the Suzuki 400, which obviously got bored and stroked, Yep. but that was our memorable year, because I, I basically won a championship on a on a Z400, and everybody else had a Honda 450 come out, and Heck, I think was Can-Am out with their 450 then too? Or I don't think,
0: it? not quite yet, not quite yet. But you're exactly right because you were on a Z400 against, yes. against, you know, these new, because in 04, there was Yamaha too. So Yamaha- That's had, right. The,
1: Yamaha, Honda, and Suzuki were out. Exactly, there.
0: exactly. And they were
1: 450s, the Honda and Yamahas.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, the, th- the crazy part is when I think of the Z400 is in like 2007 or 2008- there, that was a, a quad used in the um, in the in the schoolboy senior class. So at that point, it was a youth quad. Like three or four years after you're racing it, that's unreal. Wow. To me. It's unreal wow. to me because, like you just said, in 2004 or 2005, you're racing these a Z400 against these production 450s, and the pictures even are crazy now when you look back at them because it's like seeing a Z 400 ahead of those four fifties.
1: Right. Right.
0: Just crazy to me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No, that, that was a memorable year in 04. And, uh, I actually had, you know, my program was really good. That was the first year Suzuki had the factory ride with the 18 wheeler, you know, and the whole works and boy, did we, uh, we our program was good that year. We had it all together. You know, we were on top of it. And I won a lot of races that year, if I remember.
0: Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. From like a, that 2003, 2004, I mean, you were, you were dominant. And I remember, I believe I remember reading that you won either six or seven in a row at one point. And yeah, head- I think it was
1: six. Yeah. Yeah.
0: In the headline read, you know, this is a record that's probably never going to be broken. And then when you think back that you were on a Z 400, it's just, it like, that's, right. that's crazy to me, you know?
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: So, yep. so that's unreal. And, and maybe in 2005, you know, the, the Honda and the Yamaha, maybe they figured a little bit more out. Maybe you were at a little bit more of a disadvantage at that point. I don't know, but, um, you know, shortly thereafter comes, you know, the LTR and those legendary yep. Suzuki teams to follow. So I guess take me through like, how much did you play a role in the development of that, of that, um, LTR?
1: Well, yeah. So in 04, I was traveling, I believe I went twice to Japan. They brought me back there to help them, uh, design this LTR 450 and oh wow, yeah, they didn't really have me, um, you know, it wasn't like power and this, that, but it was more like where the handlebars should be location, foot pegs, comfortability, you know, for the normal guy, because obviously we all know Japan guys are a little smaller than Americans. And yep. they, they were very, um, they didn't want to make it wide. And that was one thing that I really pushed. I said, you need to make this thing right from the stock form wide. And they thought their, their idea thinking was their thinking was, well, if we make it narrow, you Americans won't go so fast. I go, we're going to go fast no matter what, so you might as well make it wider so it's more stable,
0: you know? Exactly, yeah.
1: And and I remember that was one thing that I really pushed. But they, they really, when I was there, they had this prototype LTR 450 setup that had like handlebars where you could click into different positions, as in up, down, forward, back, and forth. They really had a design that, you know i would ride it in certain positions and say this is the most comfortable same with the foot pegs it was really? you know you couldn't really thrash on it that hard but uh it was it was awesome they really uh did their homework that way and um yeah it was it was you know after riding well to, to tell you though when i would go there and ride this thing they didn't have the motor done, so they oh. had a 400 in it still so it wasn't oh, really? that impressive to me because sure, I you know, yeah. used to riding the ones back at home. And yeah, so it, uh it, it, it was, it was different, but I knew the geometry of the four-wheeler was much better than the 400. And um, yeah, we worked out, I went there twice. And, and my boss, Rod, the at the time, who was vice president of American Suzuki, he would go with me because, you know, just to help me out with everything going on there. And yep. um, yeah, he was, uh, he was a good mentor for me too, because he, if it wasn't for him, I don't think Suzuki would have been into races race as much because he really pushed it. Okay. And uh, I can remember the first year um, when we were a factory team in the first race, he invited the vice president, Mr. Z- or, I'm sorry, the president, Mr. Suzuki himself. I forgot what his name was at the time, but he... Brought him to the race. No pressure, digger. But uh, he's here. You need to win. I'm like, oh, thanks. You know? But but luckily, I did. It was in Florida because he was down there for Bike Week. Okay, He we ran always that week too down there. But we ran at Gatorback, yes, Gainesville, Florida. So. I remember that race like, oh my god, he's putting the pressure on me. But luckily, I won that
0: one. Oh, uh, that's awesome, and that's crazy. Um, you know that uh, that they didn't have the even the LTR motor in there at that time. But thankfully, you're adamant about that thing being wide because I mean, those things came so well set up as far as yes, they were like even honest- the tires. Yeah, you're exactly right. I was just going to say they were kind of before their time almost, you know, because still to this day, you got all these people riding Hondas and and they still come just like they did back then, you know, yeah,
1: the Suzuki was ready to rip. Yeah, they were wide. They had, you know, the tires weren't awesome, but they were, you you know, the, the average guy could run on them and not have to change tires. They were radios that were shorter you know like you yep. know 18 inch radios in the back and you know what they worked on a lot of conditions i mean some hard pack tracks no, but sand and other stuff they were a good tire
0: absolutely good sand tire and people still to this day run them as like a mud tie style yeah.
1: setup yep. tire yep. so
0: um so yeah and then you got to have a lot of pride in having a lot of say in in how that uh, quad racer 450 ultimately was sold as because, um, you know, you played a big role in kind of developing that thing. So that, you know, that ended up being like a really iconic and obviously successful for the rest of that whole decade four wheeler. So to be a major part of that, uh, had to be pretty prideful for you, I would think.
1: Oh, yes. I, you know, I, I look back at my race and days and career and yeah, you know, I had my ups and downs, but, I am just, I lived the rock star lifestyle for a while, you know, there, and uh, I'm just grateful that uh, everything worked out good for me and all my sponsors and everybody that helped me out it was, uh, you know, never, ever forget it. It's just, it was awesome.
0: Yeah. That's cool. So, so you had been through at that point, you had been through the, the GNC days of doing MX and TT. You had also been through, like we talked about the pro production and then the normal pro class deal, and then came kind of another split series, basically with the rise of the WPSA. So, you know, what were your thoughts of I guess the WPSA at that time? Cause you know, when you come in and you're throwing around the ESPN thing and all this stuff, it had to have almost been like it was too good to be true because you were around long enough to see all the struggles of ATV Racing and then kind of see it build up. And now you're part of Factory Suzuki and now now there's WPSA. So tell us about that.
1: Okay. Yeah, that uh that was really awesome. You know, it was almost like having supercross like they do for the bikes because it got really good tv coverage it was another series they were you know they never interfered with the nationals um and you know for for us for me you know that's more win bonuses for uh from suzuki so just a chance and another championship bonus you know yep so it was really awesome it was like being motocross where you got two series supercross and outdoors that's what it was like for us and um That series was really good. Um, I'm really sad it went away, but uh, boy, it it paid good. Um, Good TV exposure. It it helped our sport tremendously. Tremendously. Absolutely.
0: When you can talk about having that mainstream coverage, um, when you can go to the OEMs or whatever and have that mainstream coverage, that's a game changer. But um, so that's, yeah, WPSA was amazing as a whole. It is crazy. It is sad that it didn't last, but Talk, talk about, I mean, you won the inaugural WPSA super quad pro 450 title there. So talk about the battle you had with Dustin Wimmer who ended up being your teammate. But at the time, (laughs) I mean, he's like, he's a kid, right? So
1: I I think he was 18 and I was 40 almost or 30. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I posted
0: about it today that you were 39 when you won that title. So talk about that battle that season with him.
1: That was a heck of a battle. He was a great competitor. And uh, boy, it went down. I, I, it went down to the last race in New Jersey. I thought and, so because uh, it, was,
0: it was basically winner take all.
1: Yes. Went down to last race, last moto. Yes. And Dustin gets the whole shot. And I was back in the pack and I worked my way through and got to second. And I reeled him in and I passed him. And he passed me back. He wasn't going to give up. You know, but I I got him at the end. I think I had just a little more stamina than him at the time. How I don't know. He was so young. <laughs> but uh I think I um, you know, when I passed him back the second time it wrecked him, you know, mentally it wrecked him. And you know how much uh racing is mental. Oh there, of course. You know? yeah, of so course. I, I think I wrecked him and there was only a few laps to go and I, I created enough lead then that he didn't get me back. But that was um that was probably one of the most difficult races i ever had to win you know and it was on the line title was on the line you know and then of course he became my teammate afterwards which was great he was a great guy um loved uh working with him, um you know he, he i learned a lot from him as he probably did with me too so
0: of course yeah i i remember watching that race like the video coverage after um because you can still find him on youtube or whatever and yeah. Like even the commentators are screaming at the top of their lungs. Cause you guys are, you're coming from the back. Dustin gets the whole shot. And I think like their feeling was Dustin's going to win this thing. You get yes. all the way up to the front. Now you're dicing back and forth. And uh, yeah, that was, that was even as a fan, one of those memories that you'll never forget. So Um, you know, and you had raced like so many different eras of the sport, you know, like you're racing, you're racing Gary Denton and then you're racing, you know, all the guys you kind of came up with, with Shane Hitt and Tim Farr. And, you know, then kind of that next, you know, even the older guys like John Natale and whatever. And now you're racing these kids, you know, so you had raced so many different eras. So, um, as you got older, did it become like more difficult or you know, to race those up and coming kids, or was it like your age and your experience turned into your strength?
1: Um, It it was more difficult, but my age um, and experience did, you know, help me because I was smarter. But the problem I was having is these kids weren't afraid to hit the ground. (laughs) And I, and, and I, and it hurt too much at my age and I could run their pace, but I didn't, I couldn't run it comfortably, you know? So I was to a point where like, man, you know, I run their pace and I, I could win, but I also could hit the ground and end my career for good. And, and it started to win that, that part of it started to win where, you know what, I'm just going to ride comfortably and it's not good enough to beat these guys no more. You know, and Chad wean and started getting up there and, you know, I just, that, that pace to me was too much. And um, that's, you know, when I decided to end it too, it was, probably a smart thing because of course my mind even to this day oh, I still can do it I can go up <laughs> there you know uh, but the body says no you know so um but yes it um it was tough at the end and and I and after I retired I had a a year or two that I you know it's like I went through a midlife crisis cuz I raced all my life yeah you know and and yeah. and seen a lot and did a lot and it all to be over was really hard really hard you know? uh, you know, but yeah um, I, I you was backtracking to that WPSA. Um, you know, we I ran the nationals that year too and almost won that. But me me and a couple of guys jumped on the yellow flag. <laughs> I hate to bring this up, but I, I could have won both championships, but there was a discrepancy and I don't
0: anyways, remember. long
1: story short, I didn't win. I come up a couple points short. And just that a, was, yeah, uh,
0: just a couple, yeah, yes. Yeah.
1: I won the WPSA, but such a heartbreak not to win the Nationals, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because that would have been a year to do it at, oh, I won both then, you know, it would
0: have been. Exactly, exactly. And I remember back then thinking it was almost like a contingency plan, you know? Like, it didn't work out in the one. Thankfully, it worked out in the other one. Right, right. So... So that was oh six oh seven, 07, and, and it's funny, I want to cover all the stuff that you talked about there, but um, you could see in your results even, because you were always basically in the exact same spot, whether some days it was good enough to win, maybe not pushing, you know, pushing that, I don't know, that that little bit of an edge, but then, yes. I mean, you were always second, third, fourth, you know, like it was always... Right you were always right there. Even the days, like I said, some days you won, you know, you still won a number of times over those years there. But, uh, you know, yeah, it was just, you could see like you were just so consistent. It was crazy. So, you know, you pick up your final win ended up being in 2008. Um, the final win of your illustrious career that was at pleasure Valley. And you know, do you, do you remember like that day? Does that day stand out to you at all? Or? Oh yeah.
1: If you find any pictures from there, you'll see I was almost off the quad. I had I, one arm. Yeah. Leg was off to the yes. side, like I was showing off, but I, that's where I was on the edge again. You know, I, post,
0: and, uh, I posted that picture today actually. Did you? And, yeah. uh, and yeah, I mean there was like a crazy whoop section up that hill or something. Right. I yep. remember, I remember yep. being there and that whole deal. And, um, even for me, like, I remember thinking like digger, you know, he's, he's 40 plus years old and he's just winning these races against, against, you know, five or six different factory teams. And there was like, it seemed like there was 15 factory riders at the time and same, same old digger Doug is getting it done. So tell me about that day. If, if that stands out to you.
1: Yeah, that day, that day does. Yeah. That was a very memorable day. I mean, um, I, I almost lost it in them whoops I mean I was if you look at the sequence of pictures they have I mean I, I don't know how to this day I saved it you know right. I guess I was a lot more limber than that, but <laughs> uh, yeah that that was memorable and um, you know I, I fought hard for that I believed the second moto Dustin got out front but I um, it started to rain and uh, I was a little better mud rider than him and he spun out. And, uh, that, that's what caused me to win. Then I think he, he made a mistake and I capitalized on it for the second got, moto.
0: Gotcha. I remember, I remember too, cause it was perfect for your riding style because it was like an ice skating rink. Do you remember yep. that? It got so yes. slippery. Hard
1: flick. hard, flick. Yep. And yeah.
0: I remember you watching, you just ride the cushion around those corners and it was like perfect, perfect, uh, racetrack for you that day. So
1: yep. yeah, I knew where to, I learned where to find traction, you know, but I, I also did a lot of practicing at home when there was snow and ice and stuff. Oh, exactly. So I had some experience in it. Yeah.
0: I remember we were, whatever class I was racing at the time, I think it was like my first year on a 450. But I remember being right around the pro class and I'm, I thought the same thing. I'm like, I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to be just like Digger. And same thing, riding in the snow and the ice up here. You know, I'm like, this is, this is our kind of racetrack right now. So, yes, so, at, so, I, so at the time, did you think, like, does it ever cross your mind? Like, hey, this could be the last one? Or as a racer, maybe you never let your mind go there. But
1: No, I didn't. Um, you know, in '09 through my last year there, you know, I, I actually still wanted to do it again. I, I really did. It was hard. It was hard for me to retire. It was hard for me um, to stop. I mean, it did help that uh, Suzuki hired, um, I, I can't think of who that was at the time, but they 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 ended up hiring another young rider and cut my salary way down. So that really helped make my decision. Made it a lot easier, I should say. So maybe they did me a favor because maybe I would have got hurt that year, you know. That must but, have been um,
0: that must have been when they brought in Creamer,
1: right? Yes, Josh Creamer. Yep. Yeah. They brought in Josh Creamer. And I remember he rode basically for nothing. And I'm like, what are you
0: doing? (laughs) He was on like a prove himself type of deal. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and so they figured, well, while I got this young guy riding for nothing, you know, we can cut Digger's salary down. And um, I just, I told Suzuki, I didn't want to ride for that. You know, I'd I'd be done. So I
0: I see. Yeah. Cause I got a couple questions about that era here, there, because, you know, you had like all the years prior to that, you had, or the the few prior, you had ended, you know, top three in points. And I thought I remembered hearing at the time, I don't know if it was from you or somebody else or whatever, but I thought that top three was like an automatic re-up of your Suzuki deal. Was that, was there any truth to that? Or was that not...
1: No, no. I just, I, I, at the end I had year to year contracts. You did. Okay.
0: You know, okay. Yeah. So, because, and I didn't know, cause that was kind of the, the thought that I had. I thought I'd heard that somewhere that those top threes were like, they'd automatically, you know, re-up your deal. Well, I knew in 2009 there, your last season, you, you finished fourth. So I thought, Oh, I, well, I didn't know if, if that, yeah. if that, Um, helped end it or whatever but you had another you had another great season Doug like you had three or four races at the end of the year where you got second you know consecutively at all those races so it's not that you couldn't do it Um, right right that does make sense though if if they had creamer coming in and doing it for dirt cheap um, yeah
1: because I probably would have ran then in 2010 Um, I know I would have but when they cut my salary like that, I mean, they really tremendously cut my salary. And I thought, you know what? I I haven't been winning that much and I can't rely on win bonuses. uh, You know, for my, for my year uh, salary. So, uh, you know, to live on. So I decided that, uh, you know what, maybe this is, this is a time I should end, you know, and I was what, 41 at the time. So we'll get right back to the show,
0: but now a quick word from our sponsors. And now, Please stand up and make some noise for our title sponsor, CST Tires. CST Tires and their Pulse MXR tire have completely overtaken the ATV market. Used by Thomas Brown to clinch a third straight Quad Cross of Nations title, by Nick Janusa as he dominated the Montreal Supercross, and myself, Cody Jansen, as I rode my Pulse MXR fronts and white label soft compound rears to a 2019 national championship in the Junior 25 Plus class. The Pulse MXR tire, available in soft and standard compounds, offers the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics than the competition. Join the takeover or prepare to be beat by someone who did. CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. Check them out at csttires.com today.
1: Anybody that I've gotten to try them, I've heard nothing but positive things back.
0: We're proud to be Team Blue Crew here at the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. Why choose Yamaha? Look no further than Chad Wienen's six championships in the past eight seasons aboard his Yamaha YFZ450R. Not to mention Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing, and their support of this podcast proves it. For the 2020 ATV MX season, Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program will offer payout and prize opportunities, including the chance to win a brand new YFZ450R. For more information, head to YamahaOutdoors.com and follow them on social media at Yamaha Outdoors today. For over 150 years, Valvoline has led the charge by being dedicated to constant improvement and innovation across all disciplines of racing. Valvoline has sponsored some of the greatest names in motorsports, and for the better part of a decade, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of the historically great Team Valvoline. From my commuting vehicles to small engines, race squads, and everything in between, I trust nothing but Valvoline in all of my equipment. I've experienced increased function and durability, as well as longer life expectancy, thanks to Valvoline's array of products and lubricants. Since 1866, Valvoline has been focused on bettering your experience, whether on road, on track, or anywhere in between. Upgrade to Valvoline today and check them out at Valvoline.com. SSI Decals is a name that is synonymous with ATV racing and synonymous with success. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris' passion for ATVs. After making number plates and decals for riders like Chad Whedon, the company quickly took off. Today you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI decals. The graphics maker now supports all the top teams at ATV motocross as well as GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, Short Course Off-Road Trucks, UTVs, Snowcross, and, oh yeah, six-time NHRA world champion Clay Milliken. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship level graphics, SSI decals. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is brought to you in part by DID Racing Chain and their 520 ATV2 chain. This patented X-ring chain boasts a steel alloy construction for reduced weight, increased strength, and a longer chain life making it the optimal ATV racing chain. Pick up an ATV2 chain today at your local dealer or wherever DID chains are sold. Wherever you go, go with DID. We're pumped to bring on new partner, Namira Technologies. Since 2001, Namira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market, covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. Namira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Namira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits, visit your local dealer or online at www.namira.com. Namira Technologies, Pistons with an Attitude. We are also pleased to announce our partnership with Bronco ATV and UTV Components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models. over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, all the way down to suspension parts and bearing kits, Bronco is your hard parts source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world, visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. We are also supported in part by Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant. The best power sports coolant on the market evans prevents overheating and boil over so you never have to worry about harming your engine or having a premature end to your ride due to overheating no matter what the condition designed for use in atvs utvs motorcycles snowmobiles and more use what the pros use upgrade to evans today the digging deep atv mx podcast is also sponsored by dp brakes dp has been dominating the atv world for a while now by supporting riders like joel hetrick jeffrey Rastrelli nick janusa Baldwin Motorsports, JB Racing, Root River, myself, and more in ATV Motocross. In GNCC Racing, they have all of the top 15 XC1 pros using DP, including the likes of Walker Fowler, Jared McClure, Chris Borich, Bryson Neal, Cole Richardson, and more, not to mention Hunter Hart and the top four XC2 riders. These riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP Brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them consistently on the top of the podium. Available at dp-brakes.com, purchase at your local dealer, or even message me for their contact info today. What are you waiting for? Join the best HB riders in the world on DP Brakes. Fourworks Carbon's innovative, lightweight products include top-notch seat covers, carbon fiber and plastic hoods, tank covers, exhaust shields, shock guards, and much more. Whether you have an ATV, UTV or snowmobile, 4 Works has goodies that'll make you salivate. I trust FourWorks for increased function and a sexier look. 4 Works Carbon, always working hard to bring high quality, innovative parts to the market. Check them out today. Now back to the show.
1: But no, it was, it was one of my hardest decisions to make. I still want to race even with the cut salary, but you know, what do you do?
0: I believe that because I think you hear about that a lot of times in racing more than any other sport, because it's something that we've, you do forever, you know? So when do you say, when do you say it's time to walk away? And then when you do walk away, um, your whole life changes because it's something that you literally, you know, you work towards or you, you know, everything you eat, sleep and breathed was for that one goal so it i mean midlife crisis is probably the
1: right way to talk about it yes exactly and uh i'll tell you what when i retired i stayed off a of quad for a long time and you know when i would put on these fair races that you would come to and win and i look at that boy did i want to race bad man i should get my quad get <laughs> right down. oh i'm sure but, yeah but you know I, I was bench racing you know in my mind i'm thinking oh maybe if i practice a little i'd be able to hang with them guys you know but I mean, you guys were hauling the mail out there, and I knew it, but you know d I'm a racer i- I wanted to compete with you of course you know? of
0: course, yeah, and it's funny the way people think of you, Doug, because when we've been posting these things the last couple of weeks, people are like, oh, you know, if Doug was still riding, he'd still be right at the front, like talking about the <laughs> pro class to this day, so yeah, your mind, awesome. your mind and your all your fans' mind i mean it's the, they have you the know? same image of you,
1: so well, I tell you what i uh speaking of that i I usually make snow in the winter for snow cross guys. And I, I decided not to do it this year. So my fall has been kind of, I've been kind of bored. So I, I, I went down to Joe birds and rode dirt bikes. I brought my dirt bike down there cause his weather's better in Tennessee and yeah. he brought his quad out and I couldn't resist. I'm like, let me ride that thing, Joe. So I, I actually rode a quad a couple of weeks ago and uh, boy, I, I rode the dirt bike probably 12 laps, probably, you know, good pace didn't even hardly get out of breath i took four laps on his quad i couldn't breathe no more
0: (laughs) oh my gosh yeah i was gonna and i was gonna ask you like because i saw some pictures of you down there by by joe and i was like thinking what the hell is digger doing down there now you know because normally you're so busy you normally don't have give yourself any time to go do something like that right
1: and and this year because i didn't do the snow i had some time on my hands and went down there and boy it was it was great going down there and seeing all the quads he's got and um we worked on his track he, he rented a dozer I fixed it up for him a little bit and I told him I was looking at his track I said Joe I said are you crazy you need to mow this track down you don't need to get hurt no more." You <laughs> so I took and started rounding the jumps off and stuff but uh no we had a good time and talked about old times and um Yeah, you know, me and him used to hang out a lot before the factories got involved, and then they kind of wouldn't let us no more because we always practiced together and pushed each other, and 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 that's how we got as fast as we did because we were pushing each other constantly. So
0: of course, oh yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, I and even that that friendship um, alone. Like, I feel like the friendship that you guys had has been pretty well documented and there's been some peaks and valleys. So, I mean, talk about that. Like, I feel like you guys had raced together for literally your entire career. So.
1: Yes, we did. And, and like I said, we would, we would, I would go down to Tennessee a lot in the winners and train with him. And, and Joe is, um, as you know, he is, that guy is in shape. I mean, you know, he pushes it, he always pushes the envelope. I mean, if you're going to do 50 push-ups, he'd tell you do 75. Oh, you know? I know, I know. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, he was good for me, as I probably was for him. Um, and and we learned off each other. And boy, I'll tell you what, the Nerf bar companies had to love us because when we practiced, we were constantly cutting a corner, banging in each other, sliding, <laughs> wrecking Nerf bars, you know, because we wanted to be in front. We wanted to be in front. Right, right, know? right. So, and, and, you know, I, I learned to ride with Joe like that. You know, a lot of guys, you know, didn't like the way Joe rode, but I, I was used to it cause I practiced with them all the time. Right. So
0: exactly. It, yeah. it
1: didn't bother me. And then, you know, when the factories got involved heavily and, and in 06 when the WPSA and I ran that series and, you know, they didn't want us training together no more cause they were afraid we we're going to swap secrets. And, um, you yeah. know, it, it, it was, it was, Different then it was like, well, geez, I don't get to, you know, go have fun with my buddy no more, you know. But uh hey, it was a business then, you know. We were this was our job. So
0: absolutely, you know, that was I think well documented in um what was that movie called then? Nat nat National Born Killers or whatever. And I remember either you or or Joe bringing it up, like, you know, yeah, we can't practice together anymore. And uh so, yeah, but like you said, I think, I, I assume things were all, were a lot different then because, you know, it, like you said, it was a business and as factories kind of got involved that ratcheted up the pressure. And I mean, yeah, like they kind of got to protect their investment at that point.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and I used to go down and practice with him. Well, no more. Now I'm going out to California and practicing right. on their test tracks or Glen Ellen or something.
0: You know, exactly. So. Exactly. Um I mean, so you brought up, you brought up Joe. Uh, so like, I guess before I even transition from that, was it, is it weird now to like ride ATVs or ride anything and like try to take the racer out of your, out of your head? Like just, just go enjoy it. You know, is that tough?
1: Yeah, it is. And when I was down at Joe's, he did a couple laps. I got on the quad. I'm like, I'm going to do more laps than him. <laughs> you know? so it was, it's still in me. And, uh, yeah it, it it is tough it's and I, and I guess that's why I ride a dirt bike more now because I don't want to I'm afraid if I get back on the quad you're going to be seeing me line up one of them national.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's easy yeah, it's a little easier to be leisurely yeah on a dirt yep, bike yeah
1: yep yeah yeah yep. Yep, exactly but yeah we me and Joe we had some really uh good times you know practicing together and uh really learned off each other and um it was great that we could be competitors like that and still be friends, you know, and not have no issues, so.
0: Of course. So, I mean, you like I said, you brought up Joe. So, uh, do you have, like, a competitor that stands out in your mind that was, like, the toughest to race against? I mean, maybe it was Joe, maybe it was somebody else, but does anybody stand out to you?
1: Uh, You know, there's a bunch that stand out to me. I mean, Joe, obviously, is one of them. He was always in, I think, the best shape. You know, but Joe, Joe had, was a, is a big guy. So he, he, you know, he struggled there because, you know, he had to get more horsepower to pull his weight because he's just six foot five or He's Bigfoot, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but Tim Farr, he was so smart. Tim Farr could get starts. Tim Farr knew how to set his quad up, you know? So, you know, I had competitors that were different ways, you know, were a struggle. Joe was because of in shape. Uh, Tim, he was just, Smart John Natale he was he was an Ironman. That guy too was another one, and he you know he could ride hard and fast and get good starts, you know. So there there was a bunch of them, and Dustin Wimmer come along, you know. So you know, but I I would say I guess Joe because I raced Joe for so long, so Joe would have to be the. the (laughs) I I
0: think you know I, I had a gut feeling that that's maybe where that was gonna go, and. Did you, so, and it could be, maybe it's the same question. Maybe it's the answer's him again, but do you have somebody, if I put you on the spot, like as far as who is your favorite guy to race against, or maybe you have a least favorite guy to race against. Does anybody stand out in, in in that mind? Or maybe, maybe Joe's the answer to them all.
1: Yeah. I, I would probably say Joe because we would battle so much together, you know, but you know, honestly, me and Joe didn't hardly, when it got to the racetrack, it just never worked out that we were battling, you know, <laughs> but there were probably a few times we were, you know, but, uh, but most of the time it just didn't work out. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know but I, there was a lot of really good competitors out there, um, that I really enjoyed racing against, you know, and it was a lot of fun.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I had a gut feeling that, uh, that Joe might be the answer to some of those. So um, before we get too far away from it, when you talked about, you know, kind of coming back each season as you were getting later in your career, what, cause this is like something that, that is always interesting to me. So what motivated you to keep coming back?
1: Um, I just wanted to win my, uh, I'm very competitive and I still am. I mean, I can be sitting on the couch watching supercross. And when that gate's about ready to drop my hands on the throttle, <laughs> I go like I'm still there, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. And, and I might hit the guy next to me and he's like, what did you do that for? I just beat you off the gate. Cause I, I moved first. You know, <laughs> but, uh, uh, no. And I, I, um, I really enjoyed, uh, riding quads, you know, racing quads. I, to me, it was like, you know, that was my, uh, how can I word it? You know, my relaxation, even though it's not relaxing, but it's put me in that other world stress. You know, that was my stress reliever go out there and hucking a big jump and landing it good. And just, you know, riding 10 hard laps or a 30 minute moto as hard as I could and getting such a workout, you know, that was, um, that, that I just enjoyed that. That was, that was my life. then. you know,
0: that's, yeah, I think you're so right because, there's a reward that you kind of get from a rewarding feeling you get from exerting yourself and leaving all your, your, everything you got out there. And that's something that you really don't get anywhere else in life. Like there's obviously successes and you can kind of get your, your adrenaline rush or whatever, your satisfaction that way. But it's not like leaving it all on the racetrack. And also when you talked about like, you know, kind of ending, you know, your racing career, well, for however many years did you do your motos at home at 12 and two or 12 and three or whatever yep, like that 12 was
1: and three, 12 and three 12 yes, that was right, your daily
0: everybody. process so i mean yes. it doesn't come as a surprise to me that that transition into retirement was really really tough
1: yes it was yes it was
0: because that's what you did forever so i just yep. uh that's, that's, that's crazy to me. So as we built the hype for these interviews with you, this interview with you, uh, so many people reached out to me wanting to know more about like the Suzuki days or just, you know, have them talk about the Suzuki days. Cause that turned out to be such an iconic team and time period for ATV racing. Just, uh, we, we touched on it a little bit, but talk about the dynamic, underneath that tent with so many good riders. Um, like I said, it's gotta be the most iconic team in ATV motocross. So what was it like to be alongside? I mean, it seemed like for so many years there of the LTR, the Suzuki was the champion and you were underneath the tent with those guys and you were winning, winning races too. So talk about what it meant to be a part of that.
1: It it was awesome. Like I was telling you before, I, you know, I, I, I just, I can't, Be grateful enough to all the guys that backed me and supported me. And, you know, I I know there was one year, I think it was Dustin Wimmer and Chan Whedon was under my tent, you know, and and to learn from them guys too, you know, because they were young guys coming up. Um, You know, it it was, um, it was a dream come true having a factory ride like that and, you know, like we talked about before the WPSA helped so much because it brought in these sponsors, rockstar and Makita and, you know, the energy drinks, Red Bull and that, uh, monster because of the TV coverage we were getting, you know, it really was like, Hey, I, I am living a rock star lifestyle right now. You know, this is, it don't get no better than this.
0: No, you're oh, exactly, no. you're exactly right. And Um, so I remember a story, I heard a story once it was probably maybe the beginning half of your Suzuki days, um, where you were maybe still operating big equipment and excavating and stuff while you were still riding for Suzuki. And I, I had heard like, they put a kibosh on that and said no more. Is is that, are there any truth to that? Is that a true story? Um,
1: kind of they you know obviously they wanted me to focus more on racing and um what 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 actually happened was they when I signed a deal with Suzuki I basically signed my rights over to them that's how I did it and they they had me going all over the place uh doing dealer shows you know um doing autograph sessions testing and my schedule was so filled with weekends or going here that we weren't racing going there going to this dealer you know doing this doing a commercial for Suzuki with the new quad you know it it got to the point where they didn't even have to really tell me I just was like well I'm gonna have to stop my business because (laughs) I'm just I'm constantly gone and the guys I had working for me didn't know the equipment like me and it was tough to let them go and I would hear the problems they were having so i finally decided to pull the plug and you know what i can't i can't run this business and not be there i don't want my name to get bad back at home so i um i shut it down
0: oh i see okay okay um so one other story speaking of rumors kind of you know so many people asked about this tale of you attempting Rocco's leap okay (laughs) Some people said that you know they they, uh, they removed the fence for him to try and jump this thing, and other people said you know, like no, he he didn't try it on purpose, he just cased it and then he broke his back. so tell us about I mean, if there is a story, tell us the story behind you attempting Larocco's La- La leap.
1: well i <laughs> I hate to burst of bubble, but I never believe I tried Larocco's leap. There was another triple jump okay there that. It's hard to explain where it is, but it's kind of.
0: It was on the other side of the track.
1: Yes, on the yep. other side of the track from Loraco's Leap, and you came down a hill. Yep. And there was a triple, and then we used to do a right hand and go back over and do a double, 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 over a big culver.
0: Yep. And those were big back then. Those were huge yeah. back then.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it was that triple that I was doing that nobody was. Yeah. And I did, I did case it a little bit once, but I always saved it. But Travis Spader forgot about him he was another great competitor he was the one that cased it and he tore his achilles tendon then and uh okay yeah that was that was that was the guy that did but i think it was just me and him nobody else even tried it
0: okay yeah and i and and i remember those double doubles and that triple over there back then that would have been like early 2000s ish right yep and those were so big and i was a little kid then and they were looked extra big but um as I was getting ready for this and there's like these stories, it's just gaining momentum about you trying LaRocco's leap. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you didn't try LaRocco's leap. Yeah, no. Nope. I was like, I was like, I'll let him tell the story. So people
1: um, mistake that for LaRocco's leap. That's probably what it, and, how it goes. Right.
0: And I don't want to discredit. I mean, that was a huge jump back then, like huge, huge, but uh, yeah, it wasn't LaRocco's. So no,
1: no. Um,
0: um, yeah. Cause somebody's like, yeah, well, where's the video? And I'm like, yeah, like there'd be video if
1: Doug would have tried the rock. Right. Exactly. That, that's a big jump, especially yeah. now if you've been there lately.
0: <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. So, um, so you basically, we talked about it. You raced through so many different eras. I'd be curious to ask you, like, if you have a favorite, do you have a favorite because you, I mean, you basically up until 2010, you had raced literally everybody that's ever raced. ATV motocross so do you have a favorite
1: yeah I'm I'm obviously I'm gonna pick you know the Suzuki era 2004 5-6 you know yeah winning a lot of races but I, I gotta say back in the day when I was racing Gary Denton um you know he's a seven time champion in a row yep um or did he make eight no he made eight. seven no he made eight did he make eight okay yep eight um he was that that guy he wasn't the fastest always but he was the smartest had the best equipment um and boy he was he was tough to beat you know and uh that was my goal back then is I'm beating Gary Denton I lived eat sleep Gary Denton you know and uh yeah it was he he was the guy he was the man so that that started my drive I think to beat him you know um, but uh um, now I'd have to say my favorite though was in the, in the Suzuki days 04, 05, 06, right in there, you
0: know. I figured so. I just I had to ask because I can't. I mean, there's just so few of you that raced for that duration of time. You know, you could yeah. count on one hand. Um, so I needed to ask. And talking about the the different periods you race through, you know, there's parties now today that would like to see hybrids introduced back into the pro class. And you kind of lived through that. You were, you know, kind of when we talked about starting the, the four stroke era there, I mean, you were obviously right at the heart of that hybrid era. Um, I kind of like have a pretty passionate opinion on that because I think it'll price, a, a certain amount a good amount of people out of the sport nowadays but do you have any insight or opinion after living through that hybrid era i mean do you think that's something that should happen again or or would you steer people away from that
1: i i would say no because like you said it's gonna cost too many too much money for some people that you know because then it's going to be about who can spend the most money you know and and that's why I like the factory stuff because you know it limits people. And honestly, I I I think they should go back to stock or pro production if the factories would come out with something, you know. Um, but yeah, you you do that uh, that hybrid class, and boy, the the price of quads just doubled.
0: You you're, you're exactly right. I mean, yeah. see now you know how it works. It's not just in our sport, but it's in life where. But time passes, and and you get like an infatuation with things of the past, right? Well, people okay. to this day are infatuated with that hybrid era because some of those quads were so cool. Yours, your TC powered, you know, the the four hundred, um, the you know, included. But exactly, like you will literally. So I was a mid pack pro, right? And I, there's no way I could have done. The pro class thing, and tried to afford these thirty thousand forty thousand dollar four wheelers and had multiple of them, and that had all the money to chase the whole series, so um, I wanted your insight because you're the first person I've had on the show that was part of the last hybrid era, and uh yeah. I knew that you'd have some valuable insight there, so uh, it
1: you know it started back in the Gary Denton day, you know because here here's a guy you know, that, that's won some championships and, you know, nine or, um, 89, 90, 91, 92, you know, there was nothing hardly going, but he could, he comes out with these aftermarket arms now. And then all of a sudden these aftermarket Lager frames and boy, who can afford that? <laughs> you know? Right. And, yeah. And, and he could, and he had the sponsors, you know, and he,
0: you know, he was a
1: hard guy to beat because he had the best equipment too. I mean, I'm not taking nothing. I guess he was a good rider. But, you know, you're racing against somebody with a big pocket then, too, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's the one thing, because like you just talked about, whether it was, you know, when you guys were doing the pro production or whatever, now they have a class that's basically all Yamahas, but very similar where they're basically running stock machines. I just don't want somebody's pocketbook to be able to win them, you know, races in some classes. I agree. Right. I mean that spec style racing where everybody's kind of on a very similar uh, machine. I just always thought that that was a really cool concept and I hate to see them go away from, from that even farther.
1: I agree. I agree.
0: So, um, so do you have a favorite memory racing? That's another question that I got a bunch of and I'm sure that that's very hard to pinpoint, but
1: yeah, it it is. But I'm going to have to say probably my Oh six championship against Dustin Wimmer had to be my most memorable. Cause it came down to the last race, last couple of laps. So.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: When we, when we get done, Doug have, have Haley or somebody show you on our Instagram. Cause we've been posting some of these pictures and there's a picture from that day with your hand in the air and you must kind of be, you know, there's the crowd and that, uh, you know, that the, those grandstands right there. And it's, it's like an iconic shot. I feel like it's just like, uh, and honestly there were some people commenting on there people that were part of maybe um, Josh Creamer's like you know team Kawasaki efforts in the that those years and stuff that said it was like Tom Brady that watching Tom Brady back then yeah, like watching you because it was like you just you found other people's weaknesses and you broke them down and that was the one thing that we haven't mentioned here is the one thing that always stood out to me was how you would follow somebody and you'd find a weakness and then you'd run in a line, right? You'd run in a line. So later in the race, you had this line that only you were going to use and you were going to use it against them. And, um, that's just some of that, that race craft I think is somewhat lost in this day and age. Um, cause people just want to be, get aggressive or whatever. And, right. Uh, those efforts that you had then are just, they're legendary to me.
1: Oh thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of practice, (laughs) a lot of hand of our time, I call it, you know. Right, right. Um,
0: but yeah, and the other thing too that stands out to me about your career and we've covered it all, but is the the fact that I mean the most amazing part, the best chapter of of your career came at the very end, you know, with Suzuki. And how I mean you've said great how grateful you are up and down, but how rare is it that your very best years Are right to the end. I just think that that's amazing. You're you were a 40 year old athlete racing against kids half your age, and that was the highlight of your career. It's just amazing to me.
1: Yeah, I I, like I said before, I'm grateful for it. Um, You know, I stayed healthy, but I I got really smart, and and it just it just sucks that you have this thing called too many birthdays. (laughs) You know, your your body doesn't. But you know, I learned so much. And I learned how to train and I learned how to train right. And I learned when I needed to take a break and how much time to give my body off and not overtrain and how to eat right and how to break down a competitor, you know, and yeah, and it just, it just really sucked that, oh geez, I'm getting told to do this now, now that I'm finally figuring it out.
0: <laughs> right. And, and another aspect too, I feel like is when you have more things going on in life, Um, racing kind of becomes your vice almost, where when you're younger, you have these kids that just eat, sleep and breathe it to a point where they almost burn out. Well, you get a little older and now it's like, that's the one thing that keeps you young. It's like the one place that you're free and the stresses of the world aren't there because you're on your four-wheeler. And it's just funny how, how perception and life changes.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. It is. And you're exactly right there. It, it It is. I mean, when you're young like that, that's all you do, but then you got to find something else later. And then this racing becomes, wow, oh, I want to, I want to do this. This is my outlet right here. Exactly.
0: You know? so. Exactly. So, um, So tell people, Doug, like what your day, day to day life is now. I know the, the crop dusting is a big part of your life, obviously nowadays, not, not necessarily this time of year, but, and you're, you're not doing the, the UTV stuff and the snowmobile stuff as much, right? Anymore?
1: Right. I, um, after I retired racing, um, in 2010, I actually started flying a crop duster for a guy and, uh, started my crop dusting career and that, um. That, that's a good adrenaline rush, obviously, people that know don't know what it's about, but you're diving for the ground at 140, 150, sometimes 170 mile an hour, right? and over wires and pulling up over trees, and, you know, when you fly an airplane commercially, and you're up so high, it don't even look like you're moving, but when you're five feet above the corn, <laughs> you're hauling ass, and you don't have time to blink, because you don't want to miss nothing, you know, so right. it, it definitely... Um, definitely is an adrenaline rush to me and I enjoy flying airplanes c- controlling a machine that you know you're you have your own life in your own hands just like racing you know you can control what you're going to do you know and if you screw up that's your own fault <laughs> you know um but yeah so um that is definitely uh been my life since I retired racing and it uh it makes me smile and it still does. I, I I can't wait till the season starts next spring. Um, but yeah, my life now, I, I I play around on side-by-sides, race them once in a while. Dirt bikes, I, I play around practice, but I, I I haven't gone racing any. And, uh, now that I've been down to Joe's, I want to buy a stock Yamaha and, and practice with them down there just to have fun again and bang into them, you know?
0: Yeah. I don't blame you. I mean, you can't, uh, you can't as much as I'm glad that you got something that gives you that adrenaline rush and keeps you young. I mean, we all need that, but yeah, there's nothing that really replaces, you know, kind of, right. kind of being on, on the racetrack, you know?
1: Yep, exactly. And I, I, you know, I play with snowmobiles the past few years and do a little racing at my place, but we're not doing it this year anymore. So, and, and I'm missing it already. Um, but, uh, I know, you know what, I just go down and ride at Joe's cause it's usually a lot warmer down in Tennessee. Than is, so.
0: <laughs> right. Of course. Um, so Doug, how closely do you follow the, the ATV motocross today? You know, I saw you at Crawfordsville, but how close do you follow it?
1: Um, I don't in the, in the summertime I'm busy with my business, so I don't get to watch it, but I record them and try to follow up and, and, you know, if something misses or not, I'll ask somebody. And, uh, you know, and me and TC talk a lot. Hey, who won last week? And, you know, so we, I do. I follow it. And at first it was hard because I really want to just walk away so I could forget about it, you know. But you can't. Of you course. Know? But the first couple of years, I say I didn't. I didn't even pay attention because I didn't want to know, you know. But right. but now I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I always sneak check in who won. What's going on, you know. And try to get online and find out and see some pictures or videos, you know, so.
0: Of course. Um, So, yeah, I mean, people have asked me, if you'd ever show up and race like a vet race, or if you have any desire to do something like that. Now, I know a few years ago, you showed up at one of the local races and and raced somebody else's quad in a vet race, but do you ever, does is that something you could ever see yourself doing is showing up at a Red or a Walnut or something like that and, and racing? Yeah,
1: or- yes. I, I just talked to Joe about it, but I don't know. I thought he said something about there might be a rule that, if you're a pro, you know, with this, you can't go to an amateur class. You know, I wouldn't be able to run. I don't know. Is that true? or?
0: So I have heard that. And I know that that was something that, um, because the stipulation Doug is a pro champion, um, which obviously you and Joe both are, but I, I got to believe after a certain amount of time that, I mean, how can they keep you from racing a vet race? So I don't know that, but, um, I mean, if, if we can do some lobbying for you, if that's something that you want to do. <laughs> well,
1: to to answer your question, yes, I definitely could see myself doing it. And I'm getting to the point now where I want to do it. We're like, man, I, if I can, I would, and I, and I raced the quad for a guy, he let me run. And, um, it was, it was kind of, Weird, because I had rode a quad in years, and then here I show up at this race, cold turkey, throws me on it, and I race the vet class. And um, boy, uh, um, I, I I struggled. I was out of shape and really rusty. And there was some big jumps there. <laughs>
0: yeah, there was, there was. But it was so funny because it was like the, you were still in your Makita Suzuki gear, you know, from the years yep. prior, and then yeah. it's like you're you you pl- you're plucked. Uh, it was like you plucked the 2008-2009 Digger Doug right, out of, right out, of the, out of the memory bank and then put yep. on somebody random's TRX 450R like yep. eight, eight years later or whatever it is. It was just kind of funny. But it was yep. awesome to see you back on the racetrack because even though you're rusty and even though you probably didn't feel like yourself, your riding style and everything was still, was still the Doug Gus that I remembered.
1: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I definitely had fun.
0: So, uh, yeah, that's cool. Now you're going to have all kinds of people talking about, uh, hoping that you're going to show up at a race. Maybe we can get your four-wheeler there and you can do your patented fly over and fly in and race and then you can, <laughs> yep. then you can split in, in typical digger dug fashion.
1: Right, right. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I'd love to do that again.
0: So, um, before I let you go, so two questions we always kind of try to ask everybody is your, about your racing number. Where did the number 55 come from?
1: Sammy Hagar, I Can't Drive 55 used to be my best song. I used when I was younger.
0: Oh my gosh, that makes it so much better. Yes. Um that... and I
1: still listen to that song. It's a good song. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. Maybe that's... I'm stuck in the 80s still, but oh well.
0: <laughs> that's the best story that we've heard about a number so far. <laughs> and uh and uh the other one is as far as like a legacy goes, you have such a great following still to this day, but um how do you want to be remembered by fans of the sport?
1: Boy, that's a tough question, but uh or or know.
0: or before I let you finish, um I guess for all your fans out there because you could I mean, you could, you're, I don't know how to say it, but you're as beloved today, if not more than you used to be. Like people love you still to this day, even though you've been away for a decade. So um, whether it's how you want to be remembered or if you have a message for those fans, just, uh, just let them know how you feel, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess I could say I would like to be remembered as a guy that persevered because I went through a lot through the racing career, you know, And um, to those that are upcoming, you know, if you got your heart set on something, you need to really, you know, train hard and put all your, your time or all your heart into something, and it will pay off for you. And that's, that's advice I would give them. And that's, and that's kind of how my career was. You know, I always, I never was the guy out front all the time. I always had to work for it, work for it. You know, I just, I wasn't a guy that, I just was, you know, and some people are probably going to laugh when I tell them this, but I wasn't talented. You know, I wasn't a guy that just happened to be, man, he's got it He's you No, know, I had to work hard for it, you know, and that's what, what paid off for me.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, that's how I even remembered you. And that, you know, my best memories of you are all through the, your Suzuki era, but it was just like, you were the, you were the working class hero. You know, you were just chopping wood, chopping wood, chopping, yep. chopping, chopping. And um, yeah, I mean, I, some of my memories of, you know, being on my blaster and going down and riding by you guys. And then, um, I mean, those are, those are some of my fondest memories in racing as a whole yeah. and how well you always treated us. And it was just like, uh, it was so crazy to me cause you know, you, you were my favorite rider of all time and it was like, you talked to me just like you were talking to somebody that was on your level. And I always thought that was so cool. So, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and
1: people, I I tell people, you know what, just because I can ride a quad a little better than somebody else, I'm no different than you. I still put my pants on the same way and brush my teeth, you know, and I I guess if I was to say to something that I would tell people is just never give up. If you have a dream, never give up. Just keep trying.
0: And everything you said, I mean, about persevering and never giving up. I mean, that's stuff that doesn't translate just to our sport, but that translates to life. So
1: Yes, Exactly.
0: Yeah, well, Doug, I mean, that's all I got. I, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did because yes. um, to give you an avenue to talk about to talk about all these memories and old times, um, I just, uh, people are really going to enjoy this. So you're an absolute living legend. Like I said, you're my favorite rider of all time and I just can't thank you enough for your time and doing this with me.
1: Well, thank you. It sure brought up some memories that were way back in the bank there, you know, that uh, were awesome and uh, and I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Again, Doug, I, I, it's been a pleasure. Um, ATV racing wouldn't be the same without you. People are, people, like I said, are going to enjoy this. And, uh, again, just so, so thankful for your time and thank you, uh, to Haley too, for setting all this up. Um, you're grateful to call you a friend of mine and grateful to call you a friend of the show.
1: Thank you very much,
0: man. There goes my hero. Huge thanks to Doug for his time and willingness to sit down with us. And thanks as well to Haley Hart for the scheduling, setting up, and overall making this happen. It was months in the making and wouldn't have been possible without her. Thanks to my producer, my brother Dallas, for sitting here next to me and pushing all the buttons for the podcast. I couldn't do it without you, D. Thanks to our sponsors, CSD Tires, Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew. Valvoline, SSI decals, DID racing chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV components, Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant, Foreworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Blender's Eyewear, Mountaineer brand, and Oats Overnight. Support the brands that support our show, and don't forget to use those codes to save. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us via Patreon if it suits you. Simply visit our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com, and click the Support on Patreon button. This contribution will help prompt continued growth and improvement of the show. Perks will be available to those who contribute, including hearing your name on the podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. Also, remember you can always call us with your questions, concerns, and suggested topics and more. This is your chance to be a part of the show by calling our voicemail line anytime. Call us today at 920-569-3519. That number is 920-569-3519. We got some good voicemails of late here, and I promise to get to those on the next episode. We look forward to hearing from you. We have Jeffrey Restrelli, John Natale, Cody Gibson, Gary Denton, and more on the upcoming schedule. So needless to say, you won't want to miss our upcoming episodes. The best way to ensure you won't miss a thing is to subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for additional behind-the-scenes content. Thanks, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this very special episode as much as I did. We're doing forty to 50,000 unique listeners at this point and growing, so you guys are absolutely amazing. Keep that support coming. I love the screenshots showing that you're listening. Send those in, and I promise to keep sharing them. And again, subscribe to the show, give us a rating, tell your friends, share our posts. It all helps spread word about the show and promote growth for the sport that we all love. With that, for Doug Gust, Dallas Jansen, and I'm your host, Cody Jansen, thanks for listening, and until next time, thanks for joining us in Digging Deep with the Stars of ATV Motocross.